Welcome to the Parker Avery Group's podcast series, Talk Retail to Me, where we offer insights and realistic advice from experts in the retail and consumer brands industries. If you're new to Parker Avery and this podcast, we are a leading retail and consumer goods consulting firm with over 600 years of collective experience, both as consultants as well as leadership positions in the industry. Our firm uniquely combines deep industry experience with consulting expertise and world-class talent to deliver meaningful results. Our approach allows us to build successful, long-term relationships with some of the most recognizable retail and consumer brands in the world. If you're interested in learning more about the Parker Avery Group, we invite you to visit parkeravery.com. This week, I am joined by Principal Marty Anderson and Senior Managers Heidi Census and Dimitri Magus. Both Heidi and Dimitri have been deeply involved in several pricing and promotions client projects ranging from system selection to implementation and everything in between. Marty has been working with our analytics team for our clients on price and markdown optimization solutions and strategies. We are taking a deep dive into pricing and promotions processes, enabling solutions, key capabilities, and current challenges. This is Trisha Gustin, and I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining me today. I'm excited to talk about this area because with what's going on with inflation and prices and supply chain, pricing is really, really a hot topic, along with inventory management strategies, of course. So are you guys ready? Ready. You bet. So excited. Let's start off pretty basic. First of all, can pricing and promotions, should they be separate? Should there be a different discussion on pricing versus promotions? Because we've got like everyday pricing and then promotional pricing. So is it worth separating them out? I don't think so because it depends on the product um, and the life cycle of the product. Not everything benefits from regular price optimization and not everything benefits from promotional price optimization. But if you think about the life cycle of a product, you set the initial price, you sell it, you get some insights, you may monitor the performance, change the price up or down, but it's still its everyday price. And then when it's time to promote it, that's interim part of the program. And then finally, towards the end of its life cycle, you get into markdown optimization. And there's reasons for doing this. A lot of them are competitor based and competitor focused. And that's also something that's another phase and it depends on the organization is competitive dynamic pricing, which is a real tricky thing to maintain and monitor and to execute. And I, I think Tricia, what might be helpful is to really clarify what we're talking about today. So, and, and Heidi kind of alluded to it and kind of what she said is that pricing and promotion is basically your price management system. It includes the price that you sell the product in quite basically. It's the price we currently own it at or the price we're currently selling it at. That could be a promotional price or a markdown price. But all of that is one solution in that this is how we select the price that we're carrying it. Optimization, however, is a completely different set of tools. So we're talking about price management, which does include promotion and markdown versus price optimization, because there's promotional optimization, there's markdown optimization. Those typically are separate modules, separate tool sets. So whether you're optimizing how you manage and run your promotional strategies or optimizing your clearance and markdown strategies, those are typically in separate tool sets that you know probably would serve a, a separate conversation around. But having a price management solution, which 
is usually what people are referring to when they talk about price and promotion. Price is just the full-time, all-the-time price, which could be a marked down or an original price. And then promotion is usually a temporary price. But that's all part of that price and promotion management tool set. Optimization is what's really a separate conversation. And that's where we get into more of the analytics, the the deep science yes. and that type of thing. Okay, let's let's focus back and let's just focus on the price management, the execution systems, because a few weeks ago we talked about core merch and there's elements of price in that, but this is a different... No, this would be just a, a deeper dive into what we talked about as part of core merch. Okay, so let's focus on just the price and promotions execution piece of it. When we get down to the very kind of basic level, what's involved in it? How, how does it start? Well, I think, and um, Heidi and Dimitri can weigh in, but I think the major components of like your price and promotion is obviously going to be the price management component where you're managing either original price, current price, um, promotions. There's typically a conflict management engine, you know, where it checks for errors, um, overlaps that aren't supposed to happen. Um, and then, of course, sometimes, and, and, and this one's the one that's tricky, maybe not, maybe, maybe not, is coupon management. A lot of times coupon is a separate solution um, for as far as like the coupon management, whereas the application of those within the, the price and promotion may be included. And so that's that's really the gray area with some of the solution sets that are on the market today is, is whether they include either the ability to manage coupons within the system or at least acknowledge and, and apply them within the system as, as part of the promotional piece. When it comes to price execution, though, I think one of the things you need to think about if you're going to be changing prices is the operational impacts in a store and where is the value of your in-store associates and what they could be doing to help you be more efficient. Is it better for them to be executing a whole bunch of shelf label changes or is it better for them to be picking and packing a product for curbside pickup? Which one actually brings more value? Is it changing the little sticker or is serving the customers better? So price execution piece of it, you need to be cautious about the impacts. And that leads us to something too, where a lot of companies are starting to embrace ESL or electronic shelf labels to be able to push the prices out so there's no human interaction involved. It also provides a capability to do dynamic pricing, which I said, you know, it's a little tricky because you don't want the person to see a price on a shelf label get to the register and it's rung up for something different. So you'd really need to be tactical about how you use that kind of technology. We start at the very, very beginning. New product is created and then there's initial price. Start from there and tell me, tell, explain to me how that goes through its life cycle all the way through to when it first starts going into markdown. Is that, um, is that a the point? initial price is, is fairly consistent. Usually that occurs at the item setup process where as the item's getting set up, price is obviously a component of that and that will automatically be made available to your pricing engine. And I know it probably depends on retailers' unique business processes, but typically how is that price derived? It's either based on a margin target or it may be dictated by a vendor. Um, for example, some brands like Nike have an MSRP that they want you to use. So there's consistent pricing and you'll see that in cosmetics as well, a lot that the brands set the price that they want you to sell something at. Otherwise it's based on margin targets and what you think the consumer would be willing to spend for that product. And you compare them, the MSRP is this one suggested by the vendors and otherwise the merchant 
will determine what the price is. They look at historical similar products and see how they they performed or, um, like I said, some kind of profit or what the market is willing to accept as a reasonable price. Yeah, I think it, it, usually if you're dealing with domestic vendors who you're purchasing from off of a line, Heidi's 100% on it. That, that MRSRP is really usually what you're required to start with. Now, whether you promote it or market down from there, sometimes you have a little bit more leeway depending on the vendor. Um, but usually that starting point is pretty much established. Now, if it's internal development and you're talking about products that only come from your company that you're developing overseas, um, that's where Heidi was saying it's really about the cost to margin ratio, right? It's how much did it cost me to create and produce this product versus how much do I need to make for it? And there are some initial price optimization tool sets and analytics that some companies deploy to determine, as Heidi said, what is a customer willing to pay? What I need to get out of it as a minimum to margin out and make the kind of margins I want versus what a customer may be willing to pay based on their perception of quality and value of that product can be different at times. And if you find out that what they're willing to pay is lower um, than what you need based on how much you uh, paid to produce it, then that's a negotiation. Okay, how can we cut costs? What can we do to the product to get that cost down? And we'll work on it from the other end. Or, you know, sometimes you find out that the customer values a product quite a lot and you're like, wow, we can make a lot more margin than we thought. And you'll see price increases. And, you know, we talk a lot about promotional and markdown, but there's also a markup component to pricing that happens occasionally, not nearly as often, but markup capability is also a function within a pricing solution where you have times where you need to mark a product up. There's also a third option for determining the initial price. If you already have existing product in the store and you're just extending the line a little bit with a new flavor, a new color, you would not want to price green differently than you would price black necessarily because the consumer would get confused as to the pricing strategy or have blueberry yogurt versus cherry yogurt having two different prices. So if it's a line extension, you already have the guidance that you need to know what, how to set the initial price as opposed to manufacturing one at the get-go. Yeah, and that goes a lot into some of the product development processes that you really don't see from if you're just managing price. Usually that's done prior to the item setup. But what Heidi's talking about is like, you know, it might cost you more or less to produce a red or a green, depending on how you have to source those pigments and, and the availability, but you don't want to create confusion in your customer. So usually they would cost average that over the product to say, okay, yes, this color was a little more than that color or you know, this embellishment was slightly more, but to make it easy for the customer, we'll cost average all of those colors together and apply them as a total. And then the customer really only sees the one price. Okay. So then that price is established and there's multiple ways, depending on the product and where it came from, to get to your initial pricing. That's all established in what normally would be a core merge system, correct? Right. And then is there an extension of the core merge or sometimes a different system? that handles the actual price execution or is it all still in core? Well, that's one of the things that you need to be cautious of and understand. And, and sometimes you can find, I guess, issues um, where your price strategy can fall down. So price execution, you're really talking about the point of sale, which is like the register at the store, you know, or it could be, you know, your online engine. That's where the price file gets sent. So what we're talking about, the price and promotion is actually creating that price file and managing that price file to say, this product for this store at this moment in time equals X, right? All of that gets created into a price file and every day or every hour, you know, gets fed to those point of sale registers. 
And then when the customer goes to check out, it sees that price and knows what to charge them for that. So there is, and sometimes I have in my past run into disconnects where the pricing solution may be able to manage or do more things strategically than the point of sale is capable or currently designed to execute as far as all the different types of price types and different types of strategies. Or it could be vice versa. They have a robust POS that has the ability to manage more price scenarios and they have kind of an antiquated pricing solution or core merge that really just doesn't have all the different strategies included in it. So really understanding, I think your question basically is insightful, <laughs> Tricia, is that understanding that connection between what can I do strategically and create pricing strategies versus do I have the ability to execute all those pricing strategies as well? And those are two different solutions, hardware, software, um, that you just need to be conscious of. If I can set it up, can I execute it or vice versa? I was just going to add to what Marty said, that ability to execute is really going to impact your ability to effectively promote products. Um, if a company wants to do a buy three, get one free, and your POS doesn't understand that, you can strategize all you want, but if you can't execute it, it makes it a moot point to be able to think about those types of promotions and the execution of it. And where I see retailers get it wrong, like I have seen some examples in some retailers where they can set things up in their pricing, their execution POS couldn't really handle it. And so they came up with what we'll just call creative um, transactional ways of ringing it up. And the problem with that is, yes, you can get the ultimate price that you're trying to get to the customer, but it creates a lot of confusion in the transactional detail that comes back into your reporting. So when you're trying to analyze, you know, what worked, what didn't work, or how the pricing mechanisms were used to say, you know, was that coupon effective or was that promotional strategy effective or was the mark, was it a markdown? It gets really cloudy and then it interrupts your ability to do the proper analysis to understand which types of strategies were effective or not. And sometimes you you introduce the risk and shrink, internal and external shrink, you know, when you don't have those lined up and create a seamless connection between that price file and the execution. You really don't want people at your register just keying in things creatively. You, you want all that to happen. Otherwise, you do open yourself up to some risk issues. Such as things like price overrides at the POS yes. because as a really recent example, I was at Publix last night and right at the beginning of the store, they have all these, their BOGOs. And one of them was these pork tenderloins that were supposed to be buy one, get one free. So I grabbed two of them, did the rest of my shopping, go to check out. And one of them rang up full price, one of them rang up not full price. And I had the, the cashier, I was in the self-service lane, but I had him go back and, and see. And he said, well, it was for the flavored ones, not the plain ones. You got a flavored one and the plain one. And that wasn't really clear. But I have had other experiences like that when they just automatically change it to a BOGO, even though that particular flavor style, whatever, was not really in the promotion. It just happened to be with all the other ones. So it's that type of thing where if, like what you're saying, Marty, if they're doing creative workarounds at the POS because those systems are not compatible or aligned, then all that visibility to data coming around and people changing the price at the POS may not paint the real picture of what's going on. Is that correct? It could, and it can create loss in margin because the one that they did not intend to promote now has been sold at a lower price potentially. And so their margin targets may have been missed. Um, usually companies, they'll have a risk management office, you know, somewhere corporately where 
they track the types of overrides and things that are, are done manually through the register because you also don't want someone to be tempted to say, oh, my friend's coming through the line. I'll just override that, you know, overrides are tracked pretty closely with most companies these days um, to get into risk. And so if you see a lot of overrides coming through, that could trigger an investigation to say, hey, we need to look and see why this is overriding. Is it because there's a problem with our pricing strategy or is there a problem with the POS or do we have an internal shrink problem? Is the pricing and promotions, is that always one capability or like a singular process or singular capability and then adding on to that, how, you know, if you think about the execution piece of it, so you set your pricing and then you set, you know, your promotions and all of that has to feed into not only the POS and now that pricing has to get fed into also your, your online execution systems. And then there's an element of marketing too. So you like your weekly ads, all of that needs mm -hmm. to sync up. So explain that process and that integration. What you're keen on is like the pricing and promotion. So I think of it more as like, this is your price strategy tool, right? Um, some of those prices are going to be permanent. Some of those are going to be temporary. And that's where the promotion comes from. Typically promotion indicates temporary pricing um, versus the permanent pricing. Um, within, and that's what's the most important thing to try and understand if you're looking at a pricing tool or, or module or component or whatever within that core merge is to understand the different types of price strategies is what I would refer to them as is there are a lot of different price strategies. So you have your initial price, you may have your current price, which includes a markdown or, or maybe it doesn't. Some companies use markdown, some only use promotion. So you have those components, right? But then you also have a lot of different pricing strategies. It's you mentioned one of them, a BOGO is a pricing strategy. I buy one and I get one for a different value. It could be free. It could be half off. There's lots of different, you know, BOGO values. Um, it could be other complex pricing strategies, which like buy more, save more. If you buy $50, you get 10% off. If you buy $100, you get 25% off. Um, those are complex pricing strategies. Some solutions do them well, some may not. Um, so understanding which pricing strategies you're looking to manage within your organization and ensuring that that solution has the capability to manage all those strategies across dates and overlapping dates. Some strategies require that dates cannot overlap with different promotions. Um, some allow them to do that and it has the ability to, to best fit, you know, and pick the best price when the customer checks out. And that's one of the, the newer innovations, which is really important to understand because it also affects workload and the amount of detail that you have to put into managing those abilities. Um, does it manage coupon? Or does it have a, a robust inclusion versus exclusion definition when you're managing promotions and pricing and how you how you fit to those things? So it's really about promotional strategy or, the, or rather even total pricing strategy as you're looking at a pricing solution, if that makes sense. And here in the US, it's pretty much there's there are some laws of regulating how frequently you can do a promotion on certain items because you can't have 50% off jewelry all the time. Um, you have to have it at its full price at some point. In other countries, they have regulations that are different than ours, where you're only permitted to promote at certain times of the year. So it's more structured than we have here in the U.S. as far as pricing goes. Yeah, and I know even different states have different regulations as far as pricing, how long it has to be at regular price before you can put it on promo and things Sorry. of that nature. And what, Heidi didn't mention it, but where that comes into play too is understanding the efficiency and effectiveness of like the conflict management component 
of your pricing engine is really critical. I have seen some pricing solutions that had very, what I would call inefficient or ineffective conflict management components to them that really slowed it down. Because as you think about large organizations, you could have millions, because these pricings are being pushed down to the SKU level. It's not just the, the style level, it's all the way down to style color size and each one and by location. So it's these conflict management engines that live underneath are checking every price by location across time to either see have they violated an overlap rule or to Heidi's point, is there a promotion where it shouldn't be or has the regular price not been honored in the right amount of time? There are a lot of different types of errors and checks that they have to go through. If it gets really bogged down, it could take hours and hours and hours for those things to churn or it could really cause an issue with you uploading those the SKU price files in, in an efficient manner. And so that's one thing that's not always obvious when you're doing a demo, when you're doing um, a selection, is you, but you really need to ask that question, understand like how efficient is that engine? How many prices can I load per minute, per second, per hour? Really understanding that response time and that load time because it can in, enable you or really inhibit you to getting the workload done and making sure that you can get price changes out to your stores in an efficient and effective manner. Circling around with something that Tricia had mentioned on this earlier, she mentioned leaflets. And a lot of times those have to be locked down weeks in advance of any kind of a promotion or any kind of um, marketing aspect that isn't very dynamic. If you do catalogs or something like that, where you advertise prices that have to be printed, you don't want to lower the price lower than that catalog is going to be at the time it comes out, or you don't want to have the price be higher than what was in the catalog or the leaflet in a physical store or online. So that conflict resolution is really important when it comes to printed media. Agree completely. And Heidi actually said something earlier that I, I mean, she was talking about marketing events and things. What I see is some of the best in class kind of capability as well, which not all solutions have, is the ability to have event codes related to marketing events, whether it's, you know, this is our one day sale, or this is the Easter sale or the annual, you know, closeout sale or whatever it is. Usually in marketing, there will be event codes attached to those things. Being able to tag those inside your price and promotion solution to say, this price is related to this event. And a lot of times those events can be pre-coded with the start and end dates that can create a lot of efficiency. And if you have the ability to coordinate, it also helps you as you're trying to analyze effectiveness of those marketing events or those ads to understand, um, you can kind of pull that into your analysis to understand during this event, you know, how did sales fluctuate? Were they profitable? Did we get the types of increases we wanted relative to spend on this event? So there's a lot of um, synchronicity that you can create if you have that ability to tag those promotional changes to actual events that are driving those changes. I would agree on that. Just uh, in terms of, I guess, my experience on analyzing promotions, the most time was spent actually trying to figure out what wasn't promo. Um, so this aspect of data management and then making it available for extended period of time and then being able to analyze whether the promotion was successful, that's, that's really important. And then it, it helps for the future planning as well. Retailers that do that analysis well, what makes them good at it? Having the proper data, as Marty mentioned, is very important. We need attributes to be cleaned and maintained and have governance in place. We need to have the structures to be able to identify event codes, like Marty said. So um, the master data is key to being able to then 
good reporting or good dashboards out of the performance in your stores. And and I think having like we're talking about tagging these codes, I mean, that goes in to somewhat into the master data scheme because those event code tags really go into the transactions. And so that that kind of transaction efficiency and, you know, like we said, that connectivity between your POS, which is not part of your foundational core merchandising piece, right? That's an operational component, uh, making sure that that connectivity is there and that those transactions can carry kind of that coded information back and put it into the transaction detail, which usually goes through like a sales audit system and then gets fed back into the organization. So there's a couple other systems that go through there, but making sure that as you're making a selection and at this point, you know, we talked about when you're selecting those capabilities, thinking all the way down the ex- into execution to say, what am I going to be able to pass down? Can it do the things I need it to do? And what is it going to be able to pass back up to me to make you know those types of analyses work? Besides master data and then the looking forward with the lens of this in- integration that needs to happen all the way down to the customer transaction and then back, uh, what else do retailers who, who execute on pricing and promotions, what else do they do well? They plan and strategize well. I, you know, I think that's why I refer to a lot of, we talk about it as pricing strategies. What are your pricing strategies? Is there a forethought in that? Um, are they constructing them in a good way? And a lot of that is just process strategy work, you know, making sure that they're well thought out. Am I going to have a sequence typed pricing where I know that I've got to move everything down the conveyor. It's 20 off, then it's 40 off, then it's 50 off, and it it all happens in a real seasonal, or are we really optimizing? Are we using optimization tools to say I'm only marking when the customer tells me there's you know a lack of interest and I see sales decline? All of those kind of get wrapped into understanding what is your pricing strategy and how are you going to even approach pricing strategically from optimization versus just a, a core cadence type strategy and making sure you understand that. Another thing, it comes up a lot, especially, I don't know, Dimitri, your perspective in grocery, but coupon management is something that has been a thorn in my side in previous lives, where a lot of times when I talk about capabilities, I always ask because it, it's it's really captured me in a bad way at times to say, can you manage coupons? And a lot of the solution capabilities will say, yes, of course, we can apply these types of coupons. And there are different types. There's you know one use only coupons, multiple use coupons, there are inclusion exclusions out the wazoo about what types of products can be captured in that, or can they be added on additive on top of other promotions or on top of other markdowns? There are a lot of things that go into that. At its core, a coupon is just another type of promotion. What makes it different, though, is the management of the coupon itself and the and the setup and the generation of the coupon. And a lot of times those can be a separate management system, which we haven't talked about as like a coupon management solution. I think, I feel like we're seeing more people bringing that in. And what that means is that's a solution that manages the coupon, generates the code, you know, that scannable code on your coupon or the identifier that either makes it one use or makes it multi-use, but it's a code that gets put into the solution so that we know how to scan it, we know how to track it. And, and that's the piece that's the management component, which a lot of times is not part of the pricing and promotion. Pricing and promotion has to be able to execute against that and, and include those things into the strategy and in, in all of the uh, conflict management and the error checking. But the actual management itself of that coupon can sometimes be a separate need, a component. And when you're picking capabilities, be careful to ask that question and really dig into it to make sure you understand, are you missing a management component 
um, because it'll often be sold separately or is it really included or not? And that goes back to Marty, you were talking about the strategy and that's completely outside of the system, but it certainly drives system requirements. So Marty opened the door when he started to talk about price optimization. I know we're talking about setting regular prices, managing promotions and MDO, but price optimization is really important when it comes to long life cycle products. Um, when you think about drug stores and grocery stores, not their seasonal products, but you know, pork and beans and aluminum foil and vitamin D, that stuff sitting around on their shelves for years and being able to make sure that you're staying competitive and pricing appropriately and getting the most margin you can out of products is really important as part of an optimization solution. And I wanted to talk a little bit about a project we had done on optimization for a discount grocer in the US. They have one category be piloted because they're very much wanting to be the low price leader. And they did one category and they found enough financial benefit in the first 10 weeks of that optimization solution to pay for their entire five-year license. So their expected benefits from doing that optimization had almost a thousand percent ROI to make sure that you price appropriately on long life categories, because the pricing is also different when you think about it. What, what prices do people care about when they go to a grocery store? They really are visible to produce and to the dairy aisle and fresh meats, but aluminum foil, if I increase that price by a nickel. Is anybody going to notice? Probably not because there's certain commodities where customers really don't care. And the other reason the price optimization is really important in today's world, and Trisha, you brought this up earlier, is that consumers are now having to really consider what they're purchasing because of the cost of inflation. And you need to be very sensitive to the pricing that you're doing um, and how you're monitoring that performance. Because I think we're at a point where you can't assume customer loyalty today. Um, because they're going to competitive shop, they're going to price and going to go online and check the prices of different places to find the most optimal price for them. So the pricing optimization piece is something that has a lot of benefit to it, to a retailer or consumer goods company. That's a great point. And I know that a, a penny or two movement on price can impact margin because it most of the times that goes directly to the bottom line. So especially for higher volume goods. But yes, consumers are definitely going to be a lot less loyal to maybe brands because they're going to be loyal to their pocketbook. Now that we've not morphed over to price optimization, but it's really key, especially in today's environment, how does that fit into the overall pricing scheme? So we've got core merch where we've established the item, we established the price, and then there may or may not be some tentacles off that with a just pricing execution system, correct? But then there's price optimization. How does that all fit together? Well, typically in ERP and a core merchandising solution and a POS, they're not known for their analytical capabilities. This is usually a specialty type of solution. And it again, it depends on the type of retailer you are. If you have fast fashion and short life cycle products, regular price optimization may not work for you. You just don't have the history to support being able to determine a price. It's typically a different solution. There are a lot of science things involved with it, a lot of math. So it's typically an, an additional solution. And some companies, that's all they do is pricing and price optimization. Um, it's their specialty and their key component. Recently, within the last couple of years, Revionics, which was pretty much only a price optimization solution company, got purchased by Aptos, 
because they didn't want to build it the solution themselves. They wanted to buy best in breed or best in class in their perspective to be able to round out their portfolio of solutions without having to start all over again. But that also leads into one of the common mistakes that happens when it comes to price optimization is not trusting in the tried and true science. I mean, there there are Google elasticity and there's a standard formula for it when it's talking about price sensitivity. But we have a client who, rather than buying a commercial solution that was already established, has been tested, shown $100 million in value in a given year in margin. They decided to build their own because they thought they were smarter than everyone else. So do you invest in making something yourself or do you buy a package solution that's already been tested and dry run? Because you have to learn to trust the science. Yeah, unless you're selling something completely unique, I don't know, three-legged pants or something that doesn't exist in most places. If if the market is robust enough and there's enough advancement, the cost to manage and maintain and, and to keep innovation in that product is going to be higher typically if you're doing it yourself than just paying your licensing for a software as a service and having another company who leads and excels in that to, to do that for you. You know, there are examples in some places of different types of solutions, but pricing has been around for a lot of while. And there are some decent um, analytical tools out there that I, I think Heidi's absolutely right. It, there's no reason to really develop that on your own with what's in the marketplace. You should be able to find something you can use. Now, what I would say, you know, if you are investing in analytic tools, which it, which are different platforms and they don't necessarily have to be the same solution provider as your core merge, but with that, the, one of the more important things that you have to think about is that integration, again, um, because that can really cripple you too. Um, so there's the cost that you're running the solution, making sure that adoption stays high, right? Because you're paying for it either way. You want to get the value back. Um, if you can prove the value is not being delivered, then you have, you know, that's a different type of analytic. But um, it, if you're paying for it, you really want to use it and, and let it manage. But as you're going into those solutions, because it is a separate login and solution, as you're managing those prices and making those decisions within the solutions, you really want that decision to feed into your pricing tool, right? So that you're not having to touch things twice and manage. You don't want to have to get your optimal price generated for you in one solution and then have to manually go key that in in another solution. You want that decision that you made on optimization to pass over. Otherwise, you could create extra cost, hidden cost, through just people work hours and, and their ability to get those jobs or you're paying for additional assistance to do that can keying. So integration is really key when you start talking about optimization solutions. They're, they're wonderful. Just don't kill yourself internally by not making sure you can integrate them well. Okay, we're going to go into what common mistakes or challenges you see, and it sounds like that's one of them. Marty, it's yeah. integration, like, oh, look, we're, we're getting you know these great price of optimization recommendations but it's taking us forever to actually implement them. So it produces right. the ability to be nimble and agile it, you know, this day and age when things are moving so fast to, to be able to quickly and, course And I would say that integration crosses a lot of it. So we talked about the integration of price. Also, as we were talking earlier about coupon management, if you have a separate management solution versus pricing where you're implying, having that integrated is actually great. And, and that doesn't always happen either to say, if I create a coupon and make it available, does that automatically get set up in the pricing tool so that it can just be applied to a strategy? And I would also say an understanding of the integration and frequency to your POS. Um, there are examples where if a POS only gets uploaded with price files once per day, 
versus is it an hourly? Do you have a bit, you know, can you change price on the fly? Sometimes you'll find out that there's a price error in a store and it can be really costly and disruptive if you have to take the systems down, you know, which they typically will not do. And so then you again get into that override situation where there's a, an alert or a communication that's sent out to stores to say, hey, this price is wrong. Make sure you're overriding versus can you do real-time updates to your POS or at least hourly? Like what is that frequency of update between pricing solution and POS to make sure that you can address corrections in a timely fashion without because you can lose millions of dollars very quickly if a bad price file gets set up and they're ringing it up and they're like, well, that's what the register says. So that's what you get it for because you will be held to that from a, from a weights and measures. If it rings up, you got to give it to them. Well, that, that is like the gas station. I think it was in California where the guy miskeyed the prices into the big display that goes outside and they were selling gas. I think it was a week or two ago at 69 cents a gallon and people were coming from all over and he had to honor it because it was on the sign. Um, he got fired, but it's, it's that, like Marty said, it costs a lot of money when you make a mistake when it comes to pricing. But that still happens so much. I mean, just as a consumer, you'll see the price on a shelf tag for one price and then you go to ring it up and it's a totally different price. I've even seen occasions where the grocery store They'll have two shelf talkers right next to each other. One says four fifty nine, and the other one says four sixty nine, and it's the same product. And it's like, why is it so? Why is that still so poorly executed in so many instances? It's a lot of it has to do with just the ability and the operational capabilities of the people in the store to maintain that. If you have physical paper shelf tags, somebody has to go and change them, and it's very easy to miss them. Or depending on if they're made in the store or shipped to the store, maybe there's a timing problem. It's people. That's where it can fall down. And that's where, like I said earlier, if you want your people to be doing value-added work, is it changing those little tags and changing the signs? Or is it doing things that help the consumer in their store? Right. IHL recently had a webinar where they predicted an 843% increase in the use of electronic shelf labels to save on labor costs because organizations want to be leaner or repurpose their employees to be doing something else. And the nice thing about that though, is whatever you push out to the POS and what it brings up at, you can use that same exact file and push that to the, to the shelf labels that will give you more consistency. If you do put physical signs on top of stuff, yeah, that's still a person and there still can be mistakes, but at least this way, what's on the shelf underneath the product and what's going through the register can be more in sync. Yeah, I think Heidi nailed it. It's such an operational issue. Where we are today versus say where pricing was 20 years ago is completely different. People want more and the customers are always asking for more and more competitive. And, you know, at one point, you know, there was just universal pricing. It didn't matter where you were, like the price was always the same. Now there's much more from an optimization standpoint around localized pricing. So, you know, what you find in one city could be a different price than what you find that exact same product in a different city, just based on how quickly they're selling it, you know, based on stock, it could be based on transportation costs. There, there are a lot of things that can go into that optimization and customers want that. And, and, and organizations want that because, you know, they want to optimize their costs and still provide the best service to the customer, but it, it causes a lot of confusion. So each store, when a manager may be covering multiple locations, they may have completely different pricing in multiple locations as well. I think Heidi nailed one of them really on signing. 
there's a lot of innovation and in signing coming out. And she mentioned one, in, which is primarily only broadly available, probably in grocery, where you have those electronic signs, which can automatically update, which is amazing. Not a lot of stores have really invested in that just yet. In other retail and apparel and other things like that, you don't see that as much, but it, it is important. There, there are signing tools. They're actually signing software as well. And sometimes those capabilities can be antiquated as well as what types of signs they can do. Can they get those printed? You know, is that local? How, how they get through the store? And, and some companies are choosing not to get as detailed in the signs. Is it a hard mark on the ticket versus just a topper on top of, of something? But it, it all comes down to work and labor and you have to really factor that in. I think Heidi led with that at the very beginning is all that comes down to, you have to also understand what is the cost of changing the price. And some of those are really easy to see, you know, as far as like what it rings for. And some of those are kind of hidden is how many man hours is it going to take me to make this price visible to the customer, make sure that it's accurate and make sure that I can average that into my cost and understand what did it really cost me to change that price. Some of it I got back, some of it I didn't. Digital signs made me think way, way, way back. They're like the blue light special of today where you get the opportunity to try to push product in a more dynamic fashion if something isn't performing the way you need it to in a more real-time way. So instead of somebody getting on a PA and saying, hey, we have a blue light special in the men's sock department, you just hit a button at headquarters, send the information off, and all of a sudden you've got something going on. Again, you do need to inform your associates if you're going to be doing this intraday because they might have no idea what's going on, but at least it gives you more flexibility to promote things or highlight things in a way to move inventory, which is a critical factor right. today in most retailers. And I will say one of the things, just because we're talking about mistakes that I've seen retailers make, and it comes back to price strategy. This is less about the pricing solution capability and more about going crazy with your pricing strategy and, and making it confusing to customers. And this has happened a lot. You know, I have a lot of experience in department store where sometimes they get crazy about the different dots. Customers love a bargain. They love a deal. And a lot of stores are pressured into these sometimes crazy consecutive and kind of a build on deals where, you know, it's a blue dot, then it's a red dot, then it's a yellow dot. And each dot represents a different percent off. And then it's like, and on this week, you can get the red dot unless it's the second Tuesday of an odd month. And then you don't get that. You get this other detail and you laugh. But there have been some really wild things that particularly like with veterans. I know I've worked a place where it's like, okay, you get this dot and there's this red dot, which is additional off of whatever the permanent price is. Unless you're a veteran and, and that Veterans Day sale is every third Wednesday of each month, and then they get a different discount, which is additive that no one else gets. And seeing people try and manage that and, and making sure that your customers even understand that and know, you know what they really can expect and what they're really getting can be debilitating and it causes a lot of confusion. And at the end of the day, it's just not worth it. Keep it simple and keep it easy to understand because if your customer understands it, they're going to come for it. You know, if, if it's confusing, most times they're just going to check out and be like, I don't even know, or they're not going to trust you and think you're always not, they're not getting the best deal or they're not getting what you promised. And then they're unhappy and they don't want to shop with you because they don't trust you and they don't trust your pricing. And that's important. Well, I think also work against you. There was one of my favorite retailers who sadly is no longer with us. Their customer base knew that they did not execute pricing well. And that's one of the reasons they shopped there because they're, they had things on markdown or clearance, and then they were always 
putting out promotions that it's an additional 50% off, 40% off, whatever. So you'd have a red line price that was then an additional percent off. And the, the people checking, checking them out would, would just ring it up and everything was 50% off of whatever the lowest price was. And they, you'd, their shoppers would get things for peanuts. So I think, you know, again, it goes back to having that whole, you know, markdown of pricing strategy well managed or your customers are, you know, sorry, they're bargain hunters and many will take advantage of that. And that's that shrink we talked about early on is if you don't have effective pricing and keep everything cohesive and connected, you open yourself up to a lot of shrink. And that also goes back to what Marty was saying about having a confusing pricing strategy mm-hmm. impacts customer loyalty. Like you said, that they won't shop with you anymore if the price in the aisle says $7 and you get to the register and it rings up for 10 they're, they just You lose that sense of trust. And in today's world where likes, shares, social media, you don't want to risk your reputation being shrouded by that one woman who shopped in your store that one time and something bad happened. So it's just, it, it's so important these days to maintain that customer trust and customer loyalty. Even though times are tough, you still want to make sure that you focus on the consumer first. What other challenges or mistakes are made? So we talked about, you know, not having good data. And then we talked about not having a, a more simple pricing strategy, if that's if that's the right way to say it. I'm not sure, but it sounds like some of them get overly complex. And that's where you run into a lot of issues because the more complexity mean, means you're meaning that complexity right down at the stores and, and essentially systems too that just can't handle that complexity. What other mistakes or challenges are, are common? We talked about some of them earlier, like the disconnect between pricing capabilities and POS capabilities. And if those aren't resolved and and they're taking creative steps to correct on the POS side or or vice versa. So I think, you know, I would say that here as well. I think missing price types or missing price sequences is kind of a part of that can happen on either end. If If your price sequence or price type within your tool capability don't match what you're trying to do strategically, whereas it's it's reg versus you have a first clearance, a second clearance, or if you have promo, you know, what are those sequences that you need to manage within your transactions? And I would say, we talked about this one a little bit, I think when we did the core merge is I've seen some retailers, more than one now, changing SKU when they a price change occurs. And, you know, that can cause confusion. We were just talking about loyalty issues and customer confusion, where if you have the exact same product sitting side by side on a shelf, even though they have different SKU numbers, the customer can compare and see they're the identical item and one's at one price and one's at the other price. While typically the store will honor whatever the lowest one is, if the customer makes a issue of it, it can still cause you loyalty issues. And again, you may lose money you know, in total based on what you paid for it. It's just best to keep things simple. And that goes back to just how you're managing your data and how you're setting up those items as well as pricing. But everything's kind of connected. It's that whole end-to-end kind of understanding of the item itself. What is the life of that item? We talked about price optimization, which is obviously a huge innovation. And then, you know, store clustering would, would feed into that too. And then ESL, electronic shelf labels. Any other innovations that could improve a company's capability to do pricing execution well? I think Marty touched on this a little bit earlier is market level pricing and being able to use your inventory for markdown optimization and setting a target. If I have this product and I want to be out of it in four weeks, have a markdown optimization tool, run through the scenarios to be able to say, if you want to get rid of this in this store, 
of this product in four weeks, you need to have this price. And in a different story, it would have a different price because maybe it's selling faster on Markdown. So I think being able to use inventory and sales targets, sell through targets to be able to come up with the Markdown optimization strategy is very important, especially in those areas that have basic product and seasonal product. That seasonal has a floor set every couple of weeks with different products. Like now it's barbecuing or 4th of July is coming up. So that'll be that floor set. You want that stuff gone by the 5th of July or when, or at some point in time. So you need to make sure that you take into account what a particular store has as a liability and how fast you want to get out of it. Can you get that granular down to the store level with some of these tools? Yeah. Yes. Most of the new innovations have include location-based pricing. At one point, you know, it was zone pricing where stores were assigned to price zones and you may have like eight of them or something. But now I think most of the newer tools coming out include you can go all the way to the store level. No, you can choose to set all stores at the same price or you can choose individual groupings of price or every single store can have a different price if you want. Um, but again, just make sure that it makes sense that one, you can advertise around it, you know, because when you when you do some of that, you want to be cautious how you're, how you're advertising and how your marketing looks. But as long as you can keep that in check, yeah, it's, it's typically an inclusion today. And Marty brought up zone pricing. I think one of the other things is not just I'm in the Northeast and I zone have a zone for pricing in the Northeast, but it's also priced by competitor. So for example, a grocery store like Kroger probably doesn't care what's going on at Wegmans, but people at Giant do care about what's going on at Wegmans. So setting up competitor groups to price against that are regional gives you an opportunity to also minimize noise when it comes to making decisions, just because competitor price management is a lot of work and a lot of effort, but this way you don't end up getting a lot of null type data because there's simply no information in that matrix. I could go into the scraping capability that we've been discussing, but I think that's a whole different discussion and I know we're already over time. I hate that word scraping. I don't know what else you would call it. Mining. Mining. Mining's better. Mining Mining sounds good. All right. Anything we didn't cover relative to pricing and promotions? I, I think we could go way deeper in a bunch of different areas. Marty brought up a really good point about crazy pricing strategies and the dots in the month kind of thing that came up. But I think there's also a sense of logic that needs to be applied to pricing and pricing strategies and pricing decisions. When I worked for a luxury brand, someone had the bright idea that, hey, let's raise our prices, but we'll sell the same amount of units. So that's how we're going to get revenue growth. (laughs) And we're like, mathematically, that's not how it works. Um, we have historically shown that we raise the prices, we sell less units. So you have to you have to logically think about the strategy if it makes sense, not just because it's an idea to throw out. Just take some thought, logic, and common sense into your strategies. I do know that um, a friend of mine used to work for a large liquor supplier. I'll just call him that. And they found that when they raised the price of a certain vodka, it actually drove sales because that was the time when premium vodkas were just starting to get to be all the rage. And so they raised the price and all of a sudden the perception of that particular vodka, which had been around forever before all the, the fancier vodkas, that raised the perception that, oh, it's now a premium vodka and it drove sales in that for that vodka brand. It was it just, yeah. it, it, kind of the opposite of what you're saying, but it was it it made sense 
because they they jumped on that trend of the super premium vodkas. And it, it depends on the product and your strategy because the decision was based on entry price point products where aspirational buyers may save up for weeks to be able to buy the product because um, we're talking like $700 handbag. And that's not something anybody, most people can just afford to. So people will aspire to it. And then all of a sudden you put it, make it a little bit more expensive and the aspirational customer is priced out. Then there's the opposite argument where if you are a Birkin bag, you can set the price of whatever you want. There's still going to be a line of people waiting out the door to get it because of the scarcity. So it's just, in some cases, trust math. If it's historically proven that it doesn't work, then don't do it. If it's historically proven that it does work, like in the vodka case, then by all means, go for it. But just use logic, reason, and not, like I said, use common sense, but not just on a whim, make assumptions about things. I've seen examples in both directions with different clients over the years where I think Heidi's right. It depends on the product and it depends on the brand and it depends on the customer perception of both of those things, mm-hmm. right? It's it's less about, you may have put a lot into the product, but if the customer doesn't perceive it that way, it really won't matter to them. I've worked for companies where, and, and I will say, just talking into testing, um, probably, you know, test and learn focuses on pricing disproportionately than it does other things because there haven't been as many optimization and and certainly before a lot of the optimizational tools came to play, but trying different scenarios to see what, what customers are willing to, I've, I've had clients where they just really thought their brand was a, a heightened, more aspirational brand and the customers just didn't see them there anymore. And that can change over time. At one time in their past, they were an aspirational brand. And then over the years, they became less and less aspirational and the customers were just not willing to pay those prices anymore. And you know, there were some awakenings that happened. That particular company is no longer in business, but that, that too tells you a tale, right? Because retail is always changing and, and adapting and, and there are new aspirations that occur every day. And you know, we were just talking about how social media plays into that. And there's always people talking now where, you know, way back in the past, it would take a long time or or drastic things would have to happen to get good or positive vibes really, really started in a major way. It was all about the advertising. Now, you know, people share their thoughts, the products they like, there are influencers that are driving aspirational perspectives about different types of products that no one really thought about before. And all of a sudden they're worth a lot more than they were, you know, because they saw someone that they respect or admire with that product in in any condition, right? And so it's always important to re kind of reassess that, you know, where is my brand? Where is this product within that brand? What what is really optimal here? And it can change from year to year. Brand perception will certainly drive pricing and and we've seen many brands be turned around either for good or for bad based on their not just pricing strategy, but of course how they handle their entire merchandising strategies. All right. Thank you for joining me today. Finally, we were able to get together again. It took us a while. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. That's a wrap for this week. We hope you enjoyed the conversation, gained some industry insights, and got to know the Parker Avery Group a little bit better. If you have any questions about today's discussion or wish to talk about any retail industry challenges you may be facing, please visit our website to contact us. Please also join our conversation on LinkedIn. Just search for the Parker Avery Group. And don't forget to share this podcast to anyone who may benefit from these insights. We look forward to hearing from you.